You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. This teaching is biblical eldership, and uh, this word elder in the Bible comes from a Greek term where we get an English word presbytery. Uh, Presbyterian is a denomination that takes a, a translation of that Greek word, and all it really means is someone who is older or an elder. For instance, if we were chronologically measuring people in the room by reason of age that they've lived on earth, you could see them as elders. Elders, the Hebrew term for elders in the Old Testament was commonly used to describe the Jewish fathers or leaders that would sit at the gate. So they would sit at the gate to kind of govern the comings and goings of people to make sure no uh, un, unwanted individuals would come through. You had to pass by the elders. So all the major decisions were made in Jewish culture by the elders over regions. We see elders in eternity. We see the elders that are on thrones. So the system of eldership is something that has always been and will always be, we could say. So there's always going to be individuals that are authorized by God and put into positions of authority to lead. And we see this in the New Testament as well. And that's really our study because we are a New Testament church and what we're doing, what we believe is in the New Testament. So concerning biblical eldership, I want us to review some passages and later we're going to talk about these facts about eldership. But first, Mark chapter 10, verse 35, it says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. So here they're making a request of Jesus that they can sit at the right and the left in his glory. Their eyes were on the glorification of Christ. They had a mentality about Jesus being a warrior a ruler that would come and remove the, the occupation of the Romans so that they could be free. So they have aspirations to become a leader, to become an important individual, and they're actually doing this on the sly, as we've seen, to Jesus to try to beat the others to it, more or less. In other words, they're accruing or trying to accrue favor with Jesus by perhaps, what if it's first come, first serve? You know, what if like the first guys to ask Jesus, can we have higher positions of authority? What if that's the guy? So whatever the case, they took it upon themselves. And in another passage, we actually see them employing their mother also, because they figured maybe if they send mom, that Jesus would have a softer heart toward her. But I like this more frank and honest description in Mark where it is them Asking, And so they ask, but he says, you don't know what you're asking. In other words, they're asking for something they, based upon a belief system about positions of authority. But Jesus understands and sees clear that they do not comprehend what they're asking for. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? So, of course, he's referring to what we know as his sacrifice, his passion. When he suffered and the sins of us all were laid upon him, his service was to die on the cross for us. And anyone that follows him, he said, will also have to bear their cross. So there's a weight to it. 
that they want a position of authority, but what he's trying to say is, look, I know you're happy about the fact that I will be glorified and put upon the highest seat of all, which he will be, he's the Christ, but you don't understand that the higher position you have in the kingdom, the more sacrifice is required. And that's what he goes on to say. So he's saying, are you willing to drink the cup of sacrifice, of suffering? Are you willing to pay the price that I have to pay to be able to be risen from the grave and sit on that throne? Do you want to walk with me? And he's telling them this. And of course, they don't grasp the fullness of it because we know from last week's preaching about uh, resurrection that they had no real comprehension of what was going on until after the resurrection. So at this point, they're just thinking, hey, we have an opportunity. Let's seize this opportunity and get into these important positions. And Jesus tells them this, and then he goes on and ask them the question, do, do you, can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? The baptism of suffering. They say, we can, they answer. And Jesus said to them, okay, you, you'll drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. So here Jesus is rebuking them, but at the same time understanding they don't quite understand what they're looking for. And we find that he speaks about authority often. He goes on in detail where he continues. It says, when the ten heard about this, what he was talking to them about, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Here he's telling them that what you're asking for, what he could perceive from them is that's what they wanted. They wanted a position of authority much like you see in the world or with the Gentiles. That, that gives them power. That gives them prestige. And that is not at all what the leadership position in the New Testament or in the Bible shows us that you get. In fact, it's the opposite. He goes, not so with you. It won't be like this. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. I'm imagining while they're hearing this that suddenly their interests in taking those positions must be becoming less. Like, oh, oh, wait a minute. I didn't know it means that I have to become a slave or a servant. It says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, you know, these people wanted a position and there's nothing wrong with wanting a position, but you just need to understand what Jesus is trying to explain. That's why he didn't quash their spirit. They had an, 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 a certain intensity about them in desiring to be of service, but they had it kind of backwards. So Jesus is reorienting them. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.1, Here is a trustworthy saying, Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. In this particular case, Paul is saying, okay, let's say that you're in the body of Christ, you're a member of church, and suddenly you aspire to be an overseer, episcopos, the one that looks over, because that's exactly what a shepherd would do with their sheep. We use the word pastor. This word uh, is used in the Greek overseer, which later we're going to find out is synonymous with presbutros, which is episcopos and presbutros are mentioned in context as the overseer. 
being the elder or leader of a group of people based upon one simple principle. They're older. They're more experienced. And in fact, because of their experience and their growth and their understanding and the failures that they've encountered, they will know how to help and counsel the younger believers so that they can avoid some of the problems they've run into. It's no different than doing a, an, in, an internship in a certain company in, so that you can learn from a mentor or a boss about what to do and what not to do based upon their experience. The kind of stuff you can't learn in a school necessarily. I mean, you can have the knowledge of something, but the practical application is different. And really, that's a great deal what the Bible shows us about eldership or leadership. It has a lot more to do with experience than it does with knowledge. Because I know a lot of people that will go to Bible college and they can get a degree in theology and spend three and a half years in a seminary and learn and learn and learn and come out but yet have no practical real world experience in the work of the ministry. And when they get into the ministry, often they decide later not to do that. In fact, I know quite a few people that went to seminary but are not in ministry today. They went, they tried, and when they got into the actual reality of it, they decided that they, they weren't really cut out for that. A lot of people do that in many professions. You see some people train as doctors. And when they get to a certain level, they realize, I don't know if I can handle this. So they take a different route. Maybe they become uh, a psychologist, which is also a good position, and you don't have to deal with as much of the blood and the core and operating and these things. So we learn as we go, and that's exactly what it's like in the kingdom of God. I don't, I don't have anything against someone that desires to be an overseer. I don't have anything against somebody that wants to be in a leadership position in the body of Christ, just like Jesus did. But as Jesus did, we must consider very carefully the motivations or the reasons why, and then what is this leader or this elder in the body of Christ? And that's really what this message is all about. As I reviewed all of the passages using that specific term in the context of church leaders, I saw seven facts that I want to talk about. Seven facts about elders as we look at biblical eldership. And, and I pray, I pray that you all want some position. I pray that you, as the body of Christ grows, that as you go on, that you desire to be some kind of an overseer. Remember, that's what Jesus uh, told Peter in the end. If you love me, feed my sheep. Watch out for them. Protect them. So there's, that's a beautiful thing for you to rise to a position. And I think everybody who goes on for a number of years in Christ, you will continue to know more about Jesus. You continue to have experiences in life. And those experiences will authorize you with opinions that will be helpful to people. That's eldership. Because you are the elder. You're the older guy. And I heard um, more and more, I noticed that when somebody grows, I can tell when somebody's growing in spirit because people start to see them as old or start to see them as, as the older person. And they are young. My son right now in Japan, he's like that. There are young Christians that he meets with and he realizes he's the old man now. And he's my son, you know, he's, he's only uh, 25 and, uh, or somewhere around that age. I'm not sure if I got it right, but he's about 25. And at that age already, there are people coming around, people relate to him and see them as the old man. I guess because he's married, he has kids, but he's also been saved for a long time. And he's also been a full-time missionary for seven years. 
And he's, he's also, from the time he was eight years old, known that he was called to go to Japan. So there is an eldership coming over him now. And more and more people. That's also how I have recognized the ripeness of him as a leader in starting our, our, his own group. Because now that in eldership is starting to come out of him. And he recently wrote me and told me some things about feelings he had. I don't think he was connecting eldership to it, but I easily saw it. And it's a natural process of growth and development. I think God... For the elders. And the thing is, an elder in a church is not just one person. You don't have just one elder and then that's it. And you have no more room. There's not an elder quota. And once it's met, you can't have more elders. You can have half elders, half young people. You can, in fact, that's better for the young people. That you have a lot of people who have the experience and the age behind them to help you to counsel. We have a lot of elders sitting in this room that have been in Christ for quite a while. And so those of you who are not quite as experienced as them, you have all kinds of people. You can ask opinions about the kingdom and they'd be able to answer you. And that's ideal in a church. In my church, when I first got saved, we had my mentor, first to qualify an elder, think of it like this. Technically, in a relationship, it's whoever's older in Christ. Because you can have someone that's been saved since they were five years old and is only 25, and someone who has been saved for just the last few years but is 60 years old. And I have been in positions at the, in fact, I, in one of the most successful works I've ever done on the planet in Mexico, and it's still buried fruit to this day, I thank God for that, where I just was. Uh, I, in the time that I was in leadership over the people, I was the youngest member of the team, but I was the elder. So it's not always age lived, it's experience that you have. And so you move into this position. Seven facts about elders. Let's, let's go on and look at them. Number one, an elder is a director of God's people. It's very simple. The elders who direct the affairs of the church, it says. Well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work in preaching and teaching. So this presupposes that there may be some elders that are directing the affairs of the church, but aren't necessarily behind the pulpit every service. Because the service of elders or eldership in a church is not always going to fall into the category of being spoken in the sense of a teaching or a preaching. So you have different levels of eldership, but an elder is someone who's directing affairs in the church. So in each church that you find, a healthy local church, you'll find people that are directing certain departments. And recently I was in Mexico, one of the churches that, uh, are, that I'm connected to, and they had a really cool poster. And in fact, I took a picture in my mind of that poster of the department's of the church and it really impacted me uh, because they were cool they were modern contemporary departments with people's names on it that were over those departments and in this modern day and age one important when I was first born again you basically had uh, you had men women children nursery and the pastor but now there's a lot more now you have a complete department that is media because media has risen to such an important role in the church, the body of Christ, you, it needs its own eldership, its own department where somebody can operate that. 
It's the same with the other groups, of course, but there are things that now, of course, some, some nations are different, but they had, they had media, they had children, they had youth, they had, it was really cool poster they had set up with the names of the people and their contacts and their email address and their Facebook name, and you can contact them to, to connect with each of these departments, and it's really interesting to see that they had a clear understanding of who the elders of the different affairs of the church were, and it was clear to them. And so these, it says, uh, the, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. This would presuppose that some might not direct it so well. And there is times I have not well directed anything, but we're growing and we're learning. The one who is well directing and does a good job is worthy of double honor, especially those who work in preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. This is talking about an elder now being in a position to actually get paid for what they do, that they get a salary from the church, uh, they get blessed because their time is so consumed. Remember, we saw this division in the evolution of the local church in Acts chapter 7 when uh, there was the complaints about the widows uh, and how the widows of some were overlooked in the distribution of food and the favor seemed to be going to the Jewish widows. And so an issue came up and they went to the ones that preach and teach, that is the apostles who were anointed of God to share, to pray, to lead the spiritual aspects, and it was cumbersome for them to have to deal with it, so they said, look, this is not right, that we get stuck doing this. And so they compartmentalized eldership categories then. That's like the, the birth of it. They took a position and said, choose other guys that can do this waiting on the tables, doing other affairs. So we see, yes, an elder is a director of God's people, but in different departments and some in one area, another in another area, but all of the areas, all the places that we are, it's very important that we be able to um, do what God's called us to do. Amen? Number two, an elder is appointed over God's people. Okay, Titus 1.5 says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now here we see something important that an elder is appointed over God's people. If there is someone, for instance, that decides they want to be an elder and they just get an elder badge and put it on themselves, that does not mean they're necessarily a recognized elder in a church. And this happens often in churches. Someone will suddenly rise and, and act like they have a certain amount of authority that nobody gave them. And so we need to be really careful to make sure that we understand that the people who are appointed are the ones that are in control or the ones that are listening to the main leader. If a leader appoints and positions someone now, he, in this case, the Apostle Paul is writing to Titus, and this is in conjunction with what they did in Crete. When he was there, he preached, he started churches, he started groups, and as the group grew, he moved on. He left other people there to continue the preparation of the people. And when the time was right, he said, you need to appoint elders in every town. In Acts chapter 14, verses 21, 22, 23, uh, we don't have it up on the screen, but that's where they preached Jesus to the people. 
And then they got saved and then they, they strengthened them. They traveled back through regions in verse 22. They strengthened the believers. They taught them that only through much tribulation can they enter the kingdom. And thirdly, it says that they, they ordained elders in the different places. In other words, the apostolic ministry appointed elders in those areas. Which shows you that the, the person who appoints in a certain ministry will be the eldest elder or the one that God has commissioned to do that work. If it's apostolic, then the apostle will be one that appoints and puts people in those positions. And that's the way that it's always been done and the way that it's done in the book of Acts. So if we go forward, we do what God wants. Let's say that I go anywhere and plant a church or we plant a church in Russia. If that church is developing and growing, I make several trips in there and people uh, get saved. They're excited to be a part of the work. They grow Eldership, to me, I do not recognize people in an elder category until years go by. Really, it's about seven years, I've noticed, are necessary. From the time someone gets born again, I wouldn't really say someone can be. That's why it says, we'll see later, a novice shouldn't take that position, or a newcomer. But someone who has matured enough, but that person is appointed. One of the things I know is I always recognize the people that God is appointing or separating because it's really the job of the leader of the church to be the one to hear from God about who is to be appointed. That's what Jesus did with his disciples. He went up on the mountain. He prayed all night. Then he came down and he chose the ones that the Father indicated to him. And it's like that in, in any church. The people that God is shows to the individual leader that is going to do a work, those are the people. And then, then he goes and appoints them. But they do not just rise up and take an appointment. They don't just take a position. If not, they usurp authority, the Bible says, which causes problems and division in the church. So an elder is appointed over God's people. But number three, an elder must be qualified to lead God's people. Now, there are several different things here we can look at as far as qualifications of an elder. And we continue in Titus one, it says, an elder must be blameless, uh, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless. Now this is where we get the fact that these two Greek words are synonymous because he starts off talking about an elder and he continues mentioning it as an overseer. It's like saying a man, and so this guy... You can call a man a guy, a guy a man. It's the same thing. So an overseer is the same as an elder. So since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless. Not overbearing. That's important because uh, someone who is has strong character may have a tendency to be overbearing. Not quick-tempered. That's a really good rule because the last thing you want is a hot-headed elder. Someone that has no patience. So you can't be quick-tempered. Not given to drunkenness. Yeah, we don't. We don't want elders that are, you know, passed out in the church car park uh, with a bottle of Jack Daniels laying next to them, and we have to drag them in the church, and make excuses for them, you know. But but it does not. It says not given to drunkenness. Does not say in case somebody decides, well, if you're going to be an elder, you can't drink. It doesn't say that. Read carefully what it says. It says that you're not getting sloppy, stupid, drunk all the time. Let's say that you're in the church and you are getting drunk. It's, just, it's okay. I'll just tell you that, look, if you, if you want to move to the position of eldership, 
You might want to get some control over your drinking and figure out how not to pass out in the car park and then from there we'll move forward because everything's a, a growing, you know, we have a, a curve of growing that we can go on, a learning curve. So here it says, not given the drunk, not violent, that's a good idea. How many of you want violent elders? <laughs> I've known some violent elders, honestly. Honestly, I knew, I knew in our home church we had a, an elder that could get violent. And I often questioned, should he be doing, you know, should he do that? It didn't make sense. But the pastor loved him and, you know, he was accepted. So things like that happened. Not pursuing dishonest gain. Good idea. So someone that's going to move into this position of eldership, not somebody that's looking to exploit the body of Christ. They're not looking, they're not insisting, look, if you don't pay me X amount of dollars, it's not like a regular job. If somebody insists, well, if I'm going to work, you owe me this much money. And I, I mean, I envy sometimes that uh, some of the missionaries I've known through the years that work for these big denominations because there is an exact amount of money that they're given. But I wouldn't trade my life of faith for anything. I'm very glad that I have faith and can believe and faith is, is bigger than the money anyway. But so you're not really in it for the money. You're not pursuing dishonest game. Rather, he must be hospitable and is open and kind and friendly to people. One who loves what is good, of course, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Yeah, so they have to have an elder, of course, has to, and that's what, that's what happens in the passage of time. By the time an elder is in a position where he can truly lead in the church and direct the affairs of the church, he should have grown in his biblical knowledge enough that if somebody walks in and asks him a question about God, he can qualify with Scripture logically, intelligently, and that's where education in the Word of God comes in, and it's important that he has it. So these are qualifications that the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy. Really, this is, uh, or the other one was, um, uh, yeah. There we go to the next one. Yeah. Now we continue. This is the first one. Back up to the first one we were looking at. Yeah, that's the one to Titus that he wrote uh, that we preceded, saying that he when when he was in Crete, he said you appoint. He commissioned him to appoint those elders. Then he goes on to tell Titus. Now we go to the passage in uh, Timothy. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable able to teach. Now this is pretty much the same list that he gave Titus with some variations, which means Paul had a list somewhere basically, or at least in his mind, he had like, you know, these 15 things that uh, that uh, an elder has to be so it pretty much repeats itself. Not given the drug and not violent, but gentle, it adds gentle in this case. Not quarrelsome. Now that goes a step further than violent. Not quarrelsome means that he's not wrangling and looking for fights. He's not picking fights with people, but is in fact a pacifier or someone that's looking to calm people. Not a lover of money, very similar to the last passage to Titus, that he doesn't do it for money. Peter repeats this thing later too, we'll see. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? That's a good question. 
When I start looking at people that I believe should be in a position of eldership in the church, that's the first thing I look at. I look at their family. Uh, if they're married, I look, of course, at their relationship, husband and wife. How do they relate to one another? Uh, are they together? Are they on one page? Do they have one vision? Do they have one purpose, one focus? Is the wife loved? Is the husband um, caring for her? Is the wife submitted? These are basic things. Otherwise, it's okay. I don't have any judgment, but see, in a position of one that appoints elders, I have to look at this criteria and make sure, Does as I said earlier, just like the drunken guy in the parking lot or in the car park, if there is a problem, that can a solution can be found. So eventually the family can be healed to where they will become. I know some great pastors and leaders that I've known for a long time, some of my favorite pastors that I've met. I knew them because I've been this long in the ministry. I knew them before they had that. I knew them when their marriages were in shambles and everything was a problem and the kids were horrible and I watched God restore them. They learned order from chaos. God moved over the face of the deep of their families and spoke into their chaos and brought order. And because they learned it, their eldership is more secure. Because they experience and they understand. Also, they don't have judgmentalism towards someone that has problems. But the fact is you don't want somebody in that position to immediately be put in a position of eldership. Now, I have seen people in a position of authority in a church who did not meet these. And it made a real problem. And the, one of the reasons, or several times I've seen it, were churches that were born impromptu, that just some people believed in the corner of somewhere, they got together and the group grew, and there was no time to find an elder. And this is where I say, concerning this whole thing, these are not laws, because grace prevails over it all. And I've met pastors that were a basket case. I mean, just insane but still had sheep, and the sheep were growing and learning. Even the sheep knew, don't always trust what the pastor says. Uh, he's, he's growing. And I thought it amazing how God's Spirit can take custodianship over a group when there is someone that's weak. Even the people following will understand. But by and large, all things being equal, it's a better idea that you have someone who knows how to manage their family correctly before you put them over the house of God. He must not be a recent convert. And this is why. For the very reasons that we covered. Because if he is, he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. In other words, exalt himself and get too pride, prideful about his position. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So, of course, we want someone that has a good reputation with all the people around them and is not problematic or troublesome. And now we go on to number four. An elder is an advocate to God's people. Now this is one of the things that I see a position in the church. It says in James 5.13, Is anyone among you in trouble? Well, of course, if it's a church, there's going to be quite a few people that find themselves in trouble. That's why they're in church. Uh, they weren't having trouble, they wouldn't come to church. They just live their lives out there. But if they have issues and they need help, they often will come to the church. Let them pray, the Bible says. Uh, is anyone happy? Great. Let them sing songs of praise. Uh, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, 
they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So here we see, actually, some qualifications. I never really saw this before. That the, the key, I've already applied this prayer to just anybody. But contextually, he's talking about elders. That there are people in a position of understanding and maturity in the body of Christ. Those are the ones you really want to have pray for you. I'm not saying not everybody can pray for anybody. But there is a certain anointing because referring to the prayer call the elders specifically of the church to pray over them. And where it says that now, the prayer of a righteous person, it's mentioning that in context of the elders. I'm not saying it. Not everyone is righteous. Everybody's righteous by the blood of Jesus. But this is talking about the aforementioned characteristics of this guy called an elder who's living in a certain way, and God is honoring him because of his integrity and what he's doing, and therefore the anointing is allocated to him specifically to do things that other people in the church may not be able to accomplish. You understand? And that's the one you want to confess your sins to. You don't want to just tell your sins to everybody in the church. Because an immature person who has not reached the level of eldership, they won't know how to deal with that. They may not understand that you're not supposed to gossip. And if you tell them, it may be then public knowledge to the whole church. You don't want that. That's why you have to make sure that you talk to the person that's in a position of authority because that person will have learned very well that what you're saying is between you in confidence with them. And then they will pray for you. They will be anointed. Their prayer is powerful and effective in the specific case of you feeling ill or in trouble. You call the elders. If you get in trouble, call the elders of the church. And that's where really every church, it should be clear who the elders are. And you should say, okay, this person, that person, name those people and say, if you need something, talk to this individual. And that is part of that appointing that we saw earlier. So that people in the church will know who their advocate is. Who can, who can they connect to. You'll also notice an elder naturally will arise because they act like parents in this regard. They care. You'll see them rise. In fact, often they'll be seen like a second mother or a second father. That's what happened in my home church. My pastor was like my father and his wife like my mother. I had a father and a mother, but they weren't exactly good spiritual leaders. They were not at all. Um, now, maybe um, my mother has come to knowledge of Christ. She's saved, absolutely saved at this point. My father, I don't know where he is right now with his relationship with God. We've talked extensively. So when I was first born again, I needed father figures. I needed elders. And the elders were there. And people took those positions. In fact, a hierarchy of familiar eldership formed around me because I was 17. My pastor was my father, and Vida, his wife, was my mother, and treated me as such. And then I had uncles in there that were older brothers than me, those elders in the church. Norman Richmond, Keith Bob Simple, um, Mike uh, Gaskin, the one I always talk about. My, those were all elders in the church that were there. In fact, you could tell they were because at the end of services where everybody was just going off to get in their cars and go home, those guys were left behind taking care of the affairs of the church again. You can see elders. In some places, elders aren't necessarily appointed. They just become. And you can usually tell who they are by the fact that they have a broom or a mop in their hand 
or they're moving furniture. They're doing some physical task to be a part and productive in the body of Christ. So if that, in fact, that's a good idea. If you need prayer, uh, look for the guy that's sweeping. That would be probably a good person to have pray for you because his service in the house of God is showing him as a type of leader. He's caring for the affairs of the church. So he certainly, if he cares enough to sweep the floor and vacuum, he cares enough about you as a sheep to actually pray for you earnestly with his whole heart. So elders form this way in the body of Christ. Number five, we see that an elder is a resource for God's people. Uh, Timothy is told by Paul, do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. That's interesting because we see a couple of dimensions here in connection with presbuteros or with elders. One is the laying on of hands. Uh, one of the six rudiments of the doctrine of Christ we find in Hebrews 6. Very important. The laying on of hands by elders. And it also mentions, for instance, Antioch Church in 13th chapter of Acts. It says that there were prophets and teachers. And they laid hands. So those were elders that were in that church. The church had been around for a while. And they were the ones that the Holy Spirit instructed. Now, it is saying here that Timothy had a gift which was given to him through prophecy when the body of elders, uh, one translation says, when the presbytery laid their hands on them. And I had a presbytery in my church or a body of elders that did exactly that as I incrementally grew and went on. And I did receive gifts specifically from them. And I could neglect those things if I want to, but I don't. And that shows, now, as, as an elder, it makes me happy to know that God can use me as a conduit, as a container of spiritual blessings that I can impart by the laying on of hands to put into capacitating individuals to take a position of leadership. And also prophecy. I can prophesy because prophecy is when you speak that gift. Because it can't happen if it's not spoken. We don't just blindly lay hands on each other and just hope for the best. I'm going to put my hand on you. I don't know what's coming or what's going. You don't know either, but that's something, right? It's not like, you know, one of those gumball machines where you turn it and see what comes out. It is very, under, it's, why, it's why it also says lay hands quickly on no man. And that is, that is in context with elders. Don't just lay hands willy-nilly on everybody. You specifically know the reason why you're praying. And the elder is a resource. I've seen every elder in the body of Christ because, by the way, elders are not just people you see in your own church. They're people in the body of Christ. Uh, I can think of some great elders out there. Uh, Reinhard Bunker, great elder. You know, uh, T.D. Jakes, great elder. Rodney Hire Brown, for me, great elder. Older brother, literally, you know, 13, 15 years my senior that I could look at and think this guy has been, by the time I was 17, I was exposed to some great elders that all laid hands on me because they were a resource. And those elders were able, they were able to impart into me gifts and abilities and understandings of things that I would have never had without them. So really, if you, if you have elders, you see elders in your church, consider them to be a resource for you. Amen? Number six. An elder is a servant to God's people. And this relates, once again, to the passage we saw in the beginning about those that wanted a position of authority. They wanted right and left seats 
in the church. But Jesus is saying, I don't know if you're able to take this and do because it requires sacrifice. And he explains it to them. 1 Peter 5, 1 says, To the elders among you, let's just say you're an elder. He's writing this to you. Okay, elders, listen up. I appeal as a fellow elder. In other words, I'm an elder too. And he, and he kicks it up a notch by saying, and the witness of Christ's sufferings. Meaning, he actually saw Jesus on the cross. So he actually saw the suffering and the sacrifice. He saw Jesus taken and arrested. Sure, he denied him, but he was a witness. And he saw him rise and saw it. So he has a certain level. He's establishing, look, I'm an elder of elders because I was there. So you elders, he's giving us advice as a mature elder. He says, um, who also, he says, Elder, I, a fellow elder with you, and witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. This is one of the only places that we are referred to as a shepherd. Or we use the word pastor, because this is the same Greek word. In fact, the word pastor is the rarest word for pastor in the Bible. Well, we call pastor. You know, we say this pastor, who's the pastor? Pastor this, pastor the other, which is basically just a translation of the word shepherd. But biblically, it's rarely there. Biblically, the word is elder. And that's where I turn it around. So if you every time you see the word elder in the New Testament context, that is what most of us think is pastor. The pastor. So it's the elder. Those are the pastors of the church. We can just call them elders. And there are some denominations that did evolve into that. It's Elder Dan and Elder John and Elder Watson. And those are the leaders of the church. Whatever. Any, by any other name, a rose will smell just like a rose. So if you call pastor, overseer, bishop, apostle, whatever, director, teacher, professor, rabbi, whatever name you want to give the person, if they are functioning like the Bible describes it, that they are legitimately doing what God has called this elder or this leader. And now Peter is talking to them, be shepherds of God's flock, he says. Uh, they're God's. And that's where he starts off. You are shepherds, but it's God's flock that is under your care. Watching over them. Not because you have to or you must, but because you're willing. And that's the last thing you want is somebody pushed into the position of leadership that doesn't want to be there. And then you assign them. That's why even when you're appointing elders or leaders in any church, you have to find out if they're even willing to do that. They might say, no, I don't want to be that. I don't want to do that. So you ask, and if they say, yes, I would like to do that, well, then you know that they are willing. Not because you must. Not under any kind of pressure. As God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain. But eager to serve. Whether it's someone that is in it for the service, whether they get any um, um, any money out of it or any reward, it doesn't matter. They're just happy to serve. And that's a good position to be. It's good because I've often been in churches where I have not had any reward for it, quote unquote. I've had great rewards and relationships in the development of God's people. And God certainly has always taken care of me. But it hasn't always been for the pursuit of a payment or gain. It, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. There, Peter is giving you the ideal. The ideal elder is a servant to God's people by image. You, if an elder is in position, it should be, and this is how we know the elders are, someone that you can look at and say, I want to be like that person. 
I'm a young believer. I look at this guy in the church. I look at this woman in the church. And I'd like to be like them. And this is how I knew the elders too. Because I also saw the losers in the church when I first got saved. These people, I didn't want to be anything like them at all. A lot of them I saw with a lot of judgmentalism, a lot of false religiosity, a lot of things. And even in my first months in Christ, I knew I don't want to be anything like them. But it turned out the elders in my church were really cool people. And all of them, I thought, that's awesome. And what most impressed me about them was their Bible knowledge. That was really the number one thing that really impressed me was what individuals knew. We had elders Ricky and Randy McGovern. You hear me mention them all the time, their biblical knowledge. What they knew would just make me say, wow, all the time. Wow. I remember one time, uh, this was a pivotal moment in my understanding of eldership. We had an elder, his name was Ricky, and he taught. Very, he's the one that equipped me with all the books and taught me how to study the Bible with all of the texts and gave me the first group of books. I was at his house and he did this message that was just mind-blowing. It's complexity, it's levels, the symbology. It was like one of the most amazing messages I ever heard. So I got up and I went into the kitchen and talked to his wife. And I said, how does he do it? Where does he get that from? And she said, well, she said, it's endless study. I said, he, there's, never, there's never a moment he's not studying. He's always studying. And she took me back, just she and I, she took me back to his study. And there was his desk, the same books he hooked me up with. He had all those books and a lot more, and half of them were open on the desk. And there were yellow note legal pads everywhere with notes and messages. And he had that old green monochromatic screen computer, you know, with the big uh, uh, giant uh, box and the old computer. And he was always studying. And, I, and, it, and it impacted me when I saw that. And I knew if I ever want to be an elder, I need to study. A study to show yourself approved. You know, work with not being ashamed. And that's what it takes to do this job. It's not always going to be something people are grateful for. She's fine. She's fine. Hey, sweetie. I like your dress. It's not always something people are going to appreciate. And you're not lording it over people. In other words, you don't use any force whatsoever as an elder. You simply serve. And if people are not willing to submit to your authority, the last thing you have any right to do is demand submission. And I have found a real elder will never force themselves. A real elder will never come up to you and say, Hey, I'm an elder. Because there's no pride connected to it. They're like, okay. You listen or you don't. In fact, that's how you know who God has connected you with. If they listen to you, if they obey what you're saying, okay. It's that simple. If they have a problem with it and don't go along with it, well, then that's then, then, then not meant to be. You don't ever need to force your authority. And that's what this means, that you are not warning it over those that are entrusted to you. And it's, it's not an easy job. If any of you, as, as we saw in the beginning before we get to the last point, so in the beginning, it's a trustworthy thing. However, uh, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. But it is a task and it is hard work. And, and, and to think about it, you know, I always say that a workman that doesn't know his wages is a poor laborer. Let's just say that God commissions you, God calls you, puts you in the body of Christ as a leader of other sheep. You're going to serve them, but you have to understand the payment. Because they can't afford to pay you. 
Uh, they're not going to be. It's like a baby. It's like that little baby, my grandson there in my son's arms. That baby can do nothing to contribute to the family right now. He's not earning his keep. You know, he's entertaining us with a beautiful smile and a giggle and a laugh. And he's, he's fun to be around. But he's mostly a whole lot of work for Michael and his wife. And, and he, call, he only takes from us. We always have to invest. It's like that with an elder in the church. That you are pouring into new believers' lives. And, you're, and it's, it's kind of hard not to lord over them when you tell them something and they don't do it. And they pay the price and come back having suffered. And then tell you it again. And, and it's so hard to remain patient because you feel like I, I told you that already. Remember? And I always notice that if you're in a position teaching and someone doesn't come, they come a week later with this great problem that you taught last week. But he didn't come. And you ask, well, why didn't you come? Well, you know, um, I was, uh, I just, you know, I didn't, I just felt like staying home. Okay, great motivation for not coming, but the thing you wanted to know about is exactly what I thought. So you just, you can't know. You can't lord it over them. You have to say, you know, maybe it would be a good idea if you came to church. Maybe it'd be a good idea if you read your Bible. But we need to always be gentle. Always be gentle with God's people. Understand this. Number seven is an elder will be rewarded. Uh, you will not go without recompense. If you move into a position of eldership in any capacity of leadership in the body of Christ, the reward is huge. It is great. Now with it, of course, also is a certain weight. There's a weight of authority that comes with it. When you're put into the position of an elder, you, you feel that you are now carrying something that you weren't carrying before. It's one thing just to go to church and, okay, great, high five, I see you. But when you realize now that people are going to be looking at you as an example and, are, and they're going to depend upon you and, and you need to be actually instant, in season and out of season, always ready to encourage, whether you feel like it or not, always ready to bless, that's the mentality of an elder. But you can understand that there will always be. An elder will be rewarded. 1 Peter 5.4 And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And this is speaking specifically to the people who are becoming elders, leading and helping and uh, teaching. The, the first part we saw there, it says God wants you to be not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve not lording it over those, be examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory. How many of you want a crown of glory? There's, remember the time I did the message on the five crowns in the Bible? There's these crowns we get. The crown of glory can only come through eldership. And that's the eldership crown. That crown will come to you if you allow yourself to evolve into that position. And really, it's a natural process. You, as a mature, right now, you're already elders to a certain degree, all of you. Um, she's probably not really in the elder category, because pretty much all of us, and the baby's not in an elder category. But in life, naturally, if you're standing on an, a platform or a train station that doesn't have a barrier, or now they all do, let's say they didn't, and a little toddler's running over to the edge, no matter who you are, you will act as an elder, protect them. Then apply that to the spiritual dimension. Uh, you start to feel, you know you're becoming an elder when you start to feel this responsibility to help people. You don't, you don't want them to be in ignorance. You don't want them to take the wrong steps or do the wrong things. So you begin to speak to them. And the chief shepherd sees it as you doing what he needs you to do. 
and you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. Amen? So these are the seven things that we saw. We have a summary of them all. Number one, an elder is a dictator. Oh. <laughs> I hope that's not a Freudian slip, but anyway. Get <laughs> a little mustache in them. has to salute me when they come in. An elder is not a dictator. <laughs> I have met some elders that are dictators. I'm not a dictator. <laughs> An elder is a director of God's people. Uh, he is, he's helping them. Well, think of it like a motion picture director, right? A motion picture director is depending upon the skills of the people. He, he lets the, Robert De Niro is going to be Robert De Niro. You're not going to change Robert De Niro. You want him to be Robert De Niro. And so you just need to help give some direction. That's a really good way to look at it. People come into the body of Christ, they have ideas about what they want to do. Some of those ideas are fantastic and wild, and they have dreams, and you never want to be the one to quash a dream. You just want to direct it. Just kind of help them. If they have a passion about something, bring them and align them in another direction. An elder is appointed over God's people. Yeah, you, you do not self-appoint. You are appointed. You're put into position of eldership by the person who is being led by God to operate or serve the church. The apostolic ministry is there or the those that are older than you. And an elder must be qualified to lead God's people. The qualifications are very clear. Basically, don't pass out drunk in the car park and don't, don't beat people up. Don't fight. Uh, be faithful to your wife. Make sure your wife is loved and protected and, and have a balanced home. Make sure your children are subject to you. Basically, someone that pretty much has a balanced life. Enough that your life can be used as an example. And if it's not there, that's fine. We're not looking for perfection in people, but that means we can work on it so that we can become a greater and a greater example. An elder is an advocate to God's people. And this is because they are the one that stand and pray for us. And when, you, when you're in trouble, if you have sickness, call the elders, it says. Call people who are mature. Why? Because they've been sick and been healed. They've been through trouble and um, have found um, solutions to the problems that they went through. And as a result, you can turn to them and ask them, and they're able to pray for you with wisdom. And God anoints their prayer for you. So if any of you have any kind of problem, just find older believers in the church, the elders of the church, and have them pray for you. An elder is, a, is a, a resource for God's people. It's through the elders that the anointings of God will come through them as a container. And everything that I've ever had, I've received through elders. And an elder is a servant to God's people, of course. Not, not lording it over them, not controlling them, but an actual servant to all. And finally, number seven, an elder will be rewarded. Amen? Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.